Good morning. Well, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to continue on in our series. If you're new around here, we're just studying through the book of Acts this year. And we started in chapter 1. It's now about halfway through the year. We've made it into chapter 2. And uh, we're just going to continue to, to work through it. And last week, we taught through verse 14 uh, of Acts chapter 2. And we actually spent a lot of weeks on Acts chapter 2, verse 14. And, uh, and then today, we're going to jump over to verse 37. And here's why we're doing that. Uh, verses 14 through 36 are Peter's sermon. And I, I looked at those uh, on Easter and Good Friday. Uh, and so we're going to kind of move through the, the content of Peter's sermon. And today we're going to look at the result of this sermon. And uh, historically speaking, this is the very first sermon ever preached in Christianity. And we're going to see the result of it today. And it helps us answer what is perhaps the most important question. And that is this, what does it mean to be a Christian? Or said another way, how does one become a Christian? And then I think even more personally, then am I a Christian? And this question is answered in the response here to the very first ever sermon. And that's right in verse 37. My original intention uh, was to preach through verses 37 through 41, but there's just so much in verse 37 that we are going to, uh, we're going to just work our way through that today, and then I'll pick up the rest of them next week. Let me just read verse 37 one more time. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is the response to the very first Christian sermon. And we're going to start right at the beginning there. The first word, it says, now. Now uh, is a response to something that has previously happened. And what brought them to this now moment? Well, clearly the work of the Holy Spirit. And what we're seeing here on this opening day of Christianity is how the church works, how God has been working since that day and now up until right now. And the now that is present there is the response that occurs after the working of the Holy Spirit in tandem with people who are proclaiming the gospel. In this particular case, Peter. Last week, I spent time talking about the necessity of Christians standing and lifting up our voices with the hope and the truth of the gospel. Peter did that in response to the Holy Spirit, and he proclaims the gospel. That's again, verses 14 through 36. And now we get to see how they respond or how they're going to respond to the gospel. And the response that we see here uh, in verse 37 is the same response uh, that is the response of any person who becomes a Christian. First are always important in the Bible. And here we have the first group of converts in this new faith or in this church, right? They were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. When were they cut to the heart? Now. Why now? Because the Holy Spirit has worked and the gospel has been proclaimed. And since that moment, the Holy Spirit and people who proclaim the gospel have been creating now 
moments. Many of you, you've had your now moment. That's what brings you here today. You had a moment in your past where the the gospel broke in, it cut to your heart, and it changed you. And so you're here today as a part or a reflection of what has occurred inside of you. There might be some of you today, and you've never yet had that now moment. And today, I am praying that that is your moment, that you hear the, the, the gospel proclaimed, and it cuts to your heart. Creating these now moments Uh, is what the Holy Spirit has been about ever since this particular day. But here's one of the fun things, is that he likes to use us in the process. Last week, I talked about how uh, in our standing as Christian faith, uh, in our Christian faith, as we stand to proclaim and to profess the gospel, that a part of our uh, standing then is opportunities in individual conversations to proclaim the gospel, Uh, that the Holy Spirit kind of creates these moments where we get to decide, do I do something or do I do nothing? Do I do something right now? And we said, that's standing. It's, uh, It's in a moment of a conversation, or when you see a moment where a person is in need, or uh, when somebody begins to open up to you and have a conversation, that in those moments, you have that, that moment to stand right then and right now. I want to share with you a couple of ways uh, where we can get more intentional uh, about creating those now moments. Uh, A couple of um, ways that I've been trying to incorporate into my life more that when the opportunity arises to stand up and to take it and to intentionally share, Peter calls it the hope that we have in Christ. Here are a couple of ways uh, that, that we can begin to practice creating these now moments. The first one is simply by praying with people right now. Not saying, hey, I'll pray for you, uh, and then either forgetting, or maybe you do go through with it and you do it later, but looking for opportunities where right now you stop and you pray with them. This is perhaps one of the easiest ways uh, to create now moments. You see somebody, you get into a conversation, you can tell the stress, uh, they're, they're wearing it on their face or in their body posture, and you stop for a moment and say, hey, can I pray with you right now? And you talk, you, you take a second, you pause and you pray with them. Uh, in the morning, uh, when uh, I'm thinking about my day, I, I, I ask the Holy Spirit, uh, hey, if I find myself in one of those moments, please help me, because you often don't know exactly what somebody's going through right then. Uh, but the Holy Spirit has this way then, in those moments when you and I are obedient, to stand up and to, to take the now moment and to pray, um, to, to use you and to speak words that hit the person's heart. Almost in a way where they're like, how did they know, right? And by the way, when you're in that, don't like over, you don't have to like overdo it, okay? Uh, You don't have to get like super flowery in your language, okay? Um, You don't have to call down the heavens, okay? Um, Just be there. Ask God to step in and to show his love to them or to provide his peace for them in that moment. That's one way where you and I can, uh, we partner with the Holy Spirit in creating now moments. Another way is to simply love your neighbor as yourself, and uh, practically, that might actually be your physical neighbor, right? Or the course, the point of the story is anyone that you and I come into contact with. To be looking for opportunities, right, where you can just love them as yourself. Uh, this is something my dad likes to do. He, he likes to take $20 bills. Uh, and, um, and, and when he's at the gas station, he just kind of prays. And when he sees somebody who's in, uh, who he feels like he's supposed to go to, he just goes up. He says, hey, um, I know this only gets you one tank of gas, but uh, here you go, or one. One, uh, one gallon of gas, um, but here's, it used to work <laughs> for a whole tank, okay? Um, 
Now he passes out $1,000 bills, okay? And so, anyway, uh, and, and he just gives him the 20 bucks, and he just says, I just want you to know God loves you, right? And, you know, apply that. And, and here's the deal. Sometimes when, when, you're, when you are, when you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, like that 20 bucks is, now, is a now moment, and it's an opportunity to love your neighbor as yourself and, uh, and to look for opportunities like that. And, and by the way, when you start looking for them, you, you start seeing them a lot more. And, and when you gird yourself up in the morning, like, God, I'm, I, I chose, I'm choosing to stand for the truth of the gospel. Okay, but now, Holy Spirit, when you create the moment, hey, can I pray? Can I pray with you? Or hey, um, can, I just, can I just love you for a second? And here's a practical way then that you can do that. The third way uh, that we can kind of create these now moments and begin to intentionally share the good things that God has done for us uh, is uh, through sharing your redemption story. And this is one of my uh, favorite ways to do it, because when you begin to hear people's stories and what they're going through, God, uh, in his goodness, will often remind you of a time in life when you were in a state similar to them. And it doesn't mean always that the, uh, you know, the example is like perfect, like they did this and you went through the exact same thing, but our stories connect. Why? Because they're about the human condition, because they're about the things that we're worried about in life and looking for opportunities to share your redemption story. And one of the best ways about doing that is you can't share your redemption story uh, without humbling yourself a little bit. Because in it, you're, you're admitting, you're acknowledging, like there was a time in my life when this, but then God changed and did this. And it's just an opportunity to share your story. Even when I meet with people um, for the first time at the church, I call them church first dates. And uh, when we sit down to talk and we have these, you know, opening conversations and I'm getting to know somebody, oftentimes my redemption story will come in because uh, it's a part of who I am. It's what God has done in my life over the years. And by the way, sharing your redemption story uh, is one of the ways that God just kind of reminds you of, hey, remember how far I've taken you, what I've done for you. And so intentionally looking for an opportunity to share that with somebody else. That's a, a third way uh, that you and I can create now moments. A, a fourth way that you and I can create now moments is simply by inviting people to church. The Holy Spirit has this incredible way that uh, when we uh, show up or we find ourselves in a new moment, um, that he just speaks into somebody's heart. And so looking for opportunities to invite someone to church and to say, hey, you should come join me. Or uh, it seems like there's, oh, maybe there's a time, you're like, there seems like there's there's a lot of transition in your life. Let me tell you what's helped me. Like having a consistent place where I know there's a bunch of people that love me uh, and my eyes get taken off of me and get placed back on him. I'd love to have you sometime. Or you don't even have to come join me. I just, I'll, I'll let you know where it's at and what time it starts and you know, hopefully you can get there. And, and asking God for these moments that you can, you know it's the right thing to do. And by the way, the, the, the better, I know a lot of you after last week's sermon, you're like, I'm ready to stand. Okay. Standing doesn't mean angry posts on Facebook, right? Okay, all right. Standing, right, um, you know, doesn't, I mean, I guess I could, but it probably doesn't mean like standing on the corner and yelling, okay? This is standing. Standing is seeing the need in somebody's heart and somebody's life and saying, okay, I can pray with them. I can love them as I would love myself. I can share my redemption story. I can invite them to church. Or number five, I can just share the hope of the gospel with them right then and right now. And getting better at that. And talking about how Jesus has changed you and how you know that Jesus can change them. 
And these are, there's just five ways, right, where we can all begin to more actively be thinking about how do I bring the hope of the gospel, what has changed me, what has transformed me to somebody else. And so, hey, this week, maybe pick one of them or maybe uh, pick all five of them and say, God, give me an opportunity uh, for each of these this week or, or give me an opportunity for one of them uh, if you just need to start there. Because if you do want to stand, like we talked about last week, this is the way, these are the ways that we can begin to do that. So now, this whole verse starts with now. Remember, up to this point, no conversion has happened in the Christian faith. They've heard the opening sermon. They've seen the power of the Holy Spirit, but no one has actually become a Christian yet. It happens now. So now when, I don't have anything for when, so we'll move by that word. Now when they, they, let's talk about the they for a second. The they is, um, uh, last week I explained this, there, there was a, a large crowd that had gathered and they had gathered because of a Jewish festival. And so there were Jewish people from all over the world. This is a highly religious group of people, uh, very committed to their way of faith. And the last time that they had gathered together, they killed Jesus. Not metaphorically, literally. They killed Jesus. And so now they were regathered to celebrate their festival. And as they were regathered there, Peter gets up and he's going to proclaim the message of the gospel. Now, the they, at that particular moment, again, was a very religious group of people antagonistic to the gospel of Christ. And I created some metaphor last week on understanding the they, and I want to not correct something, but I want to add something in a little bit to make sure that there wasn't any incorrect understanding last week. And that is this, that our faith is not us versus them or we versus they. That's not what it's about. It's not about saying, okay, who's the most antagonistic group of people out there and who are the worst ones out there and, uh, and, and it's us versus them or, uh, or, or they are over there and we're over here. No, the, the entire message of the gospel is that if we don't see ourselves as former they-ers, then we're not looking at this right. We were they and, and the only reason we're not they anymore is because somebody proclaimed the gospel. We heard it and it changed us. And we were rescued out of that. And the call now on every person who professes Christ is to bring the love of Christ to all of the theirs out there uh, because we want them to now be with us. Changed by the gospel. Transformed by the Holy Spirit. And the way the Holy Spirit has been doing this, we saw it in Acts chapter 2, and the way he's been doing it ever since then is the Holy Spirit moves. There's unseen work by the Holy Spirit going on, and then somebody stands up in all of the ways we've talked about and proclaims the gospel, and it rescues theys like us. And so they, we say it around here like this, everyone's invited to experience redemption. Everyone's invited to experience redemption. That there's a mindset that we take on when we step into a relationship with Christ. That is, we want the gospel to go out and to hit and to impact and to bring in anyone and everyone. When they heard, that's the next word, when they heard, 
the herd here. Uh, I preached a sermon a couple months ago now. It was called Heard That. And we talked about what it means to actually hear. Jesus said it this way, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And hearing, uh, in a biblical sense, is hearing or listening in such a way that you understand and it changes you. Imagine this. There were thousands that were gathered there on that particular day, and 3,000 of them heard it. They heard it in such a way that it, it broke into their heart, and it changed them. And they, of course, can only hear it because somebody proclaims it, right? But even as they heard it, do you ever stop and wonder and go, okay, I've heard it. You've heard it. Those people heard it. Some people heard it, but they didn't hear it. And do you ever wonder, like, why is that? Why do some people hear it and go, oh, that cut to my heart. And some people hear it and go, eh, that is foolishness. In fact, Paul tells us about that later. He, he says that the, uh, that the gospel is just absolute foolishness to people who have um, heard it but haven't really heard it. So what's going on here? There's this underworking, this, this invisible work of the Holy Spirit that is going on. And, and some of you, you pray this sometimes, right? You say, Holy Spirit, grab that person's heart, right? You prayed that prayer. Or Holy Spirit, please do a work in that person's life. Uh, and, 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 and then the Holy Spirit does this underworking, this like invisible work in someone's life. And then we stand and proclaim the gospel. And it's like when those two things come together at the right time, that's when it brings forth salvation. Because as you read Acts chapter 2 here, what you see here is this, that people in the crowd, it's not like they like took up Christianity, like, like you take up a new sport, Right? Like maybe you're trying to learn how to golf, okay? And you're horrible. And you're like, I'm going to take some lessons. And I'm going to get better. And I'm going to do this. And, uh, and, and sometimes we look at Christianity like that. You're like, I need to get into church and take some Christian lessons, right? Or I think I'm going to do this now, this Christian thing. And I'm going to practice at it. And I'm going to listen to somebody teach. No, you read through Acts chapter 2. And it is much more um, like, like somebody getting, um, uh, I'll use the word arrested, not like thrown into jail, but just like, 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 like caught up in, uh, into it. Like they were there and the gospel goes out and they're, they're cut to the heart. It's, and they look at Peter and they're like, what do we do? Like, I can't help but respond to this gospel. We don't take it up like we take up a, a new hobby. The, the gospel, it's like it, it's like it arrests us. It, it, it's like it comes through and it breaks in. That's what happened here. That's what happened here. It says, when they heard this, this is just the beauty of the gospel. The gospel and throughout this story, what Peter does is uh, he just, he lays out the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel. Back when we first started the, the church here, about six years ago now, um, we had some different foundational values back then. And it's not that we don't believe those anymore. Uh, it's just as the church kind of morphed and, uh, you know, kind of changed over some time, um, God kind of revealed some new values to us. And so we, uh, you know, we're, we're really, we love our, our current values and, and they're, you know, you can grab them if you're, if you're ever interested. They're on a little piece of paper out there in the lobby. But early on, we had a couple different ones and we still believe them, um, but we don't necessarily use the language as much. And, and it was this. This was our first foundational value way at the beginning. It was this, that only the gospel can redeem a life. Only the gospel can redeem a life. It came out of Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. 
And uh, what came out of that verse then was that, that value. Only the gospel can change anyone. And what was in there was just this deep-seated belief that the, all of the they's in the world uh, of which you and I were one, and so we're the evidence, by the way, that the gospel works. And so if you ever get caught up in despair, if you ever start um, losing hope uh, that somebody can be transformed, that somebody can be changed, all you have to do is look in the mirror. All you have to do is look in the mirror and go, wow, if the gospel can work on that person, it can work on anybody. See, when we um, begin to forget how the gospel arrested us, how the gospel took us over, then we begin to, uh, and can, we can get into despair because we can go, oh man, there are so many days and they will never turn to Christ. Uh, they will always think this is foolish. They will, uh, they'll never be able to change. They'll never be, um, uh, they'll never grow out of something or, or they'll always be trapped under that. But only the gospel can change anyone, but the gospel can change anyone. And so there's always hope because we have a gospel that can cut to the heart. How does anyone become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? Because the gospel cut to your heart because it finally made its way through. And I think sometimes almost um, uh, this is in a way uh, one of the, like the detriments to living in a environment that talks a lot about God but doesn't actually know God. That talks a lot about church, but doesn't actually um, allow the gospel to break in. One of, the, one of the dangerous things can be is that people think, oh, are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I have to be, right? Like, like I took it up. I take lessons, and I, and I play once a week, and, uh, and, and I, I kind of believe in the Bible, and, uh, and I say nice things, and I do all of this stuff. But here we're seeing an extra church. No, no, that's not what makes someone a Christian. What makes someone a Christian is when the gospel cuts to their heart. If you hear this morning, and you're like, am I, am I a Christian? How do I know, Stephen? Has the gospel cut to your heart? Did it break in? Has it broken through? See, in Peter's gospel, uh, there's a couple of things about Peter's gospel. One, it was a very pointed gospel. Very pointed. I, I, I called it last week the most socially unacceptable gospel he could have preached because he just stood out in front of a whole bunch of people and he was like, hey, I know you guys think that you have the truth in your Judaism, but I want you to know that the truth was standing right in front of it and you are so blind that you killed it. Clear as can be. Oh, and there's something powerful about a pointed gospel. And I can tell you right now, hey, um, you, you killed Jesus. And in, there's an, an element which that is all true of all of us. All of our rejection and all of our rebellion did put Christ up on the cross and killed him. Uh, but I think there might be um, uh, slightly more pointed ways that I, could, I can proclaim a gospel to you. Hey, do you love the things of this world more than you love God? Hey, have you been building an identity totally around you and not rooted in him? Hey, have you heard Jesus' words, do not worry, and just thought to yourself, ah, he didn't really mean that? Hey, have you, have you fallen into the love of money? 
Hey, do you think that you, that you get to decide what's right and wrong instead of him? See, that's a pointed gospel. Because what the gospel does then is it, it breaks into the heart to that place of rejection and rebellion. And it comes in. And in Peter's gospel, he, he makes it as pointed as he could possibly have made it. And then in his gospel too, uh, the other thing that we see in Peter's gospel is that it understands the human condition and it doesn't run from it. There is no gospel apart from sin. And, and Peter spends an ample amount of time like laying out that there is this burden of sin and Paul is gonna hit this a lot more later in Romans. But in, in Peter's proclamation of his gospel, he understands the human condition and we're reminded of it in it. And that is the total utter despair of the human heart apart from being transformed by Christ. That we are dead in our sin, right? And we're dead in our sin and we are in that state until this gospel cuts in and cuts to our heart. But here's what I love also about Peter's gospel is it doesn't just stop at sin. And though it does spend time discussing it and it points us to the cross as the payment of our sin, uh, which it is. And we believe that the shed blood of Christ is the only payment of sin. And, the, uh, and in Peter's gospel, he goes in and he, and he points out how Christ died on the cross for our sins. But Peter doesn't stop his gospel at the cross. He brings it to the cross and he shows how the, the cross is the payment of our sin, but he carries his gospel through the cross and he points it to the resurrection. And this is why it is always a gospel of hope because the gospel itself doesn't stop at the cross. It stops or it ends or it finds its fulfillment uh, in, in the resurrection of Christ. That we go in, yes, but then we rise up out. In Peter's gospel, uh, it understands the human condition. It's pointed, right? Because it's going to cut to the heart. It goes into the cross, but then it points us to the resurrection that is found in Jesus, the new life. Later on, Paul uh, would be writing, and he's trying to help people understand the gospel. Uh, and so he's giving them word pictures. Now, Paul was a really smart dude. Uh, and, and so even as you read him sometimes, like Romans or some of those, maybe you're like, man, I don't know if I completely understand this. But Paul like created these word pictures because he wanted us to understand what was going on in our conversion, in our salvation. He was trying to get us to, uh, to understand the answer to the question, like, am I a Christian? How do I become a Christian? How does anyone become a Christian? And so Paul creates this word picture and uh, it kind of goes like this. He goes, okay, how dead was Jesus when he was on the cross and it ended? How dead was he? Really dead completely and fully dead. Okay, when Christ came out of the grave, how alive was he? Really alive, like fully, completely alive. Okay, so help me understand. What, what is that then? What is Paul doing? How is he relating that back to the faith? He's saying this, okay, before the gospel cut to your heart, how dead were you? Really dead. And there's this false gospel that we begin to believe that we like kind of gradually woke up. We kind of gradually walked in. And we kind of gradually just like took up and took on our faith. And he's saying, no, 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 you were dead. He goes, okay, and then you come into Christ and how alive are you now? You're really alive. The gospel cuts in to your heart. You say, Stephen, how do I know if I'm a Christian? Has the gospel cut to your heart? That's how you know. 
It comes in and it, and it breaks in and, and you understand. You finally hear about the human condition. You hear that you were the person who was in that human condition, dead in sin, but then Christ paid the penalty of that sin on the cross and he rose victoriously out of it. And you placed your faith in that process and all of a sudden it didn't seem like foolishness. It seemed like the clearest, most incredible thing ever. The gospel. There was a phrase that um, became popular like 15, 20 years ago, uh, and the phrase was gospel centrality. And it was just this reminder that everything goes back to the gospel over and over and over in our Christian lives. That sometimes we think, oh no, I've grown beyond the gospel. Like, yeah, I rose my hand once and I did this thing, and, and so I've kind of moved beyond the gospel. And the phrase gospel centrality, what it, was, uh, what it was doing is it was trying to remind people that our entire Christian experience is going back to the heart of the gospel and letting it cut in again, break us down, and then walk in newness of life. They always go back to the gospel. From that, we actually developed um, a phrase that we use around here a lot that is, um, we believe that church should be simple but meaningful. And sometimes you think, okay, no, yeah, church should be simple but meaningful because uh, then, you know, it's easier, right? Or it's like, it's cheaper if church is simple but meaningful. That's not where the value came from. Church should be simple but meaningful. It's not about like, uh, let's make this as easy as we can. Church should be simple but meaningful. That value emerged out of a deep-seated belief that it is only the gospel that changes anything. It's not this stuff. It's not the lights. It's not the sound system. It's not the carpet. It's not the building. It's not the acreage. It's not the website. It's not the logo. It's not the t-shirt. It's not anything. Only the gospel changes anything. And so church should be simple but meaningful because in the end, the only thing that matters is that we create now moments where the gospel hits people. That's what it's all about. I was having a conversation with somebody uh, earlier this week and we're in, in toward the end of the conversation and, and I just reminded this uh, person, I said, listen, uh, the conversation that you and I are having right now about how the church wants to rally around you in this particular time and moment, uh, this is what all of this is about and everything else that we have here, uh, anything that we ever look at and go, oh, it's so nice that we have this building, it's so nice that we have this parking lot, it's so nice that we have this sound system, it's so nice, look what we can do, oh, we can bow, we can add on, we can do this, we can do that. None of that means anything if these conversations don't happen. And friends, none of your religious stuff means anything unless the gospel is still breaking in, is still cutting in, is still allowed to come in and to cut to your heart. And we can get caught up and we can add everything and we can add layers and layers. Oh, I go to a Bible study. Oh, I show up to church. Oh, I get here more there. Oh, I read every morning. Oh, I do this. Okay, those are all good things. Is the gospel still cutting to your heart? Is it still cutting in? Because the same way we step into our faith, the gospel cutting into our heart is the same way we grow up in our faith, the gospel cutting in and cutting in. And sometimes what we do Sometimes what we do is we build these layers and we build these walls and we say, okay, I'm not going to let the gospel cut in anymore. In fact, sometimes um, um, I'll call them well-meaning but very misplaced people. Uh, when somebody feels a conviction or the gospel cutting to their heart, uh, somebody will say to them, oh no, don't feel that. 
When, 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 the, um, when the crowd, when they felt the conviction of the gospel, who did they turn to? They didn't turn to a bunch of people that would say, oh no, the cutting's not a big deal. Don't let the gospel cut to your heart, right? That, that, that's not a big deal. Don't, like ignore that. No, they turned to the right voices. And what did the right voices say to them? Repent and be baptized. No, no, no. The cutting is good. The gospel cutting into your heart is exactly what you need. It's exactly what you should want. Let the gospel cut into your heart. And then, what do you do? What do you do? What did they do? They looked and they said, brothers, what do we do? I can't help but respond to this gospel. And we were like, how do I know if I'm a Christian? How do I know? Do you remember this moment? Do you remember this moment when the gospel broke in in such a way that you just said, I can't not take action. I can't not do something. We used to say, um, after we said only the gospel can redeem a life, uh, the, the next phrase after that was this, and humility and surrender are the marks of a redeemed person. Oh, because the gospel breaks in. The gospel breaks in and, and, and it humbles you. Why? Because you realize, you realize, I could have never done this on my own. This is one of my redemption stories, by the way. I say one of my redemption stories, not that like, I, I became a Christian like more than once. Uh, one of my redemption stories because uh, you realize that once you step into faith, like you continue to have redemption stories, right? Where God grabs you again and he grabs you again and he grabs you again. I was like 22. I was already uh, in ministry. And uh, I've shared the story before, but uh, you know, I was out um, one night and I was having these long conversations and discussions with people uh, about things of the faith. And, uh, and it's amazing how God uses, uh, you know, just great conversation around the scripture. We're having this great conversation. And, and I went out to my car uh, and I was sitting out there and I'm still like trying to play through this whole moment and all these conversations that were happening. And like, in an instant, it was like grace arrested me in a way that I had never known before. And here's what was at play. Uh, it, uh, up until that moment in my life, I, I had always thought, I would have never said this, but it was the disposition of my heart that the reason that I was a Christian uh, and the reason that I knew God and the reason that uh, I, I loved God uh, is because, uh, and other people in my life didn't, is because when I had a chance to go to church, I took it and they didn't. Uh, and because uh, when I had a chance to do something, Something bad, um, I didn't, and they did. Uh, and uh, and when I had a chance to study the Bible, I took it, and they wouldn't take it. And and I thought that all of those actions, all of my right actions, all of my right decisions, ha had led me into a place uh, that I was now a Christian. But it was like in that particular moment, God, um, uh, through His gospel, grace just hit me, and it said, "Dude, stop thinking you are better than all of those other people." Stop thinking that you are the smart one who looked out and said, oh, a relationship with God is better than, than not. I'm going to go this way. When all of those people go, stop it. Stop it. And, uh, and I'm sitting there and, and having this conversation with God. Then, and then I'm like, God, then I don't understand. Why am I here? Why am I here? How come I love you? And you know what he said? Because I first loved you. Why? Why, God? Why? And he's like, because I rescued you. Stop giving yourself so much credit, man. Oh, and the gospel broke in. Cut to the heart. You know where it led me that night? I just looked at it. I said, God, if that's true, 
If that's true, then I owe you everything. I owe you everything. Because if I did a little bit of the work, then I can hold back a little bit. Oh, but if you did all of the work, if you rescued me, then how can I hold anything back? How can I hold anything back? How can I keep thinking so highly of myself if you're the one who did all the work? How can I hold back certain parts of my life as if to say, God, you can't touch this. You can't have this if you rescued me. Has the gospel cut to your heart? Has it broken in? Has it left you in a place where you have finally realized he saved you? And is the gospel still cutting to your heart? Maybe you have been doing this for a while. Maybe like, yeah, I have a moment back then. I, I kind of remember it hit me. I felt something. I did something. I responded into that moment. Does the gospel still cut to your heart? Does it still break you down? Does it still break in? This is why later in the book of John, um, the writer would write, he would say, this is why uh, a follower of Christ can't per, um, persist in sin. He says, he can't. Like a, like a follower of Christ like, can't just keep on sinning um, without it either tormenting them, right? Or without them having to stop for a second and go, well, hold on. Do I really believe this? Why? Because, because um, when, 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 when a Christian um, persists in sin, what happens? Every, the gospel just keeps coming after him and coming after him and coming after him and coming after him. In fact, one of the signs that you know, that you actually know, like, yes, I am a Christian, is because every time you try and run, every time you try and hide, every time you try and take a step and you're like, I can do this because I can do whatever I want and I know it's not what God would have me do, but I'm going to try and do it. You know that every time you do that, God just keeps chasing after you. He's like, I love you too much, son. I love you too much, daughter, to let you settle in that. And some of you, you've had fights with God. Because you're like, God, why can't I just be settled? And he's like, not in that. I'm not going to let you. I love you too much. I love you too much. And I think actually today, some of you, some of us, We've just been running, we've been running, we've been running, and I just want to tell you, stop it, because he's just going to keep chasing you. And he's faster than you. And those of us who are really in Christ, we can run and we can persist. But I will tell you, and I'd rather it be for you today than 10 years from now, if you are in Christ and you keep running in your sin, someday down in the future, because he loves you, you will be on your knees because he won't let you go. He just loves his children too much. So don't wait. Don't keep pushing it off. Deal with it right now. So at the end, what happens? They go, brothers, what do, what do we do? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? That's what they said. They, they couldn't help it. The gospel hit them in such a way, they're just like, what do we do? He goes, repent. Repent and be baptized. 
And that's the answer to the question all along, friends. And it'll always be the question. Okay, always will be the answer to the question. For the rest of your Christian life, what do I do when the gospel hits me? What do I do? Repent, turn, turn. You were doing this, now do that. You were going this way, now go that way. You were thinking this, now think that. You were acting like that, now act like this. Repent, change, turn. Secondly, he says, be baptized. Now, for those of you who, if you're not a Christian and you haven't yet become a Christian, okay, like when it says be baptized, like it physically means you're going to get in water and you're going to be baptized. And this was another picture that the scripture was giving us. How much were you underwater? A lot, okay? How much were you dead? Like that, okay? And then how much were you not in it anymore? That's how, it's a symbolization of your, of your life, right? Like when you go into the water, the old you is leaving. When you come out of the water, the new you is here. The new you is here. And for you, if you've never done that and you've become a Christian, then yes, repent and literally be baptized in water, right? We'll do it on July 20th when we have our next church night. But for the rest of us, that process continues too. Repent, change, turn, run, get away, go the other direction, respond to his spirit, and what? And be baptized. What does that mean to be baptized? It means carry now the identity of Christ. Carry now the identity of Christ. I'm turned from that I am not that anymore. I won't be controlled by that anymore. I now carry the identity of Christ. And this is the process of our faith, our entire lives. Repent and be baptized. Change direction, carry the new identity. How do you know? One of the ways, most of the time, that people know, right? You say, I want assurance, Stephen. I want to know that I know that I know, right? Right? Here's, ooh, we'll bring up a doctrinal question. People are always like, hey, do you believe in the assurance of salvation? Okay? Here's what I know. Christ, let me say it this way. You can't lose what you didn't earn. See, a lot of times I think, we think, ah, I chose to follow Jesus. And I, I know we get it, right? We, we respond, we receive, we repent, we turn to Christ, we believe. I, I get it. Okay, I'm not saying there's not a proper response on your part, but I am going to say this, right? That salvation that you have, you didn't earn it. This, this, this is what gives me more hope than anything in the world because I can look at all of the theys and say, I don't have to hope that one day they wise up. I can hope that one day the Holy Spirit comes in and just arrests them. And I would much rather place my hope in the working of God than in the intelligence of man. And some of you, you are in despair because you look at somebody that you love and you go, man, I just don't think they're ever going to get it. I just don't think they're ever going to get it. Let me give you some hope. When the gospel cuts to their heart, they'll get it. It'll bring them to their knees. Don't ever lose hope. The gospel can change anyone. So today, that gospel, if it wants to break in today for the first time, let it, please, let it. If the gospel wants to break in because it hasn't in a while, because you've put up all of the walls, let it. And how will you know? How will you know? You will repent and you will carry the new identity with Christ. Let me tell you how you will know 
that you didn't let the gospel break in, you will persist in whatever path of ungodliness that you have currently taken. That's how you'll know that it didn't break in. And you'll walk out. And then you'll walk back in next week. And I'll try all over again. But you'll know that the gospels hit you because you'll go, what do I do? Turn and carry your new identity in Christ. See, there comes a point for everyone. And I just know this, that if you continue to come into an environment where the gospel is going to be proclaimed, at some point in time, you're going to either have to decide two things. Okay, one, I just don't want to go anymore because I don't want the knocking. Or two, you're going to decide, it's time I finally give in and let it break in. I guess there is a third option. You just become so complacent and you put up so many walls And I can yell and I can scream and it's like you're not hearing a thing. But you know what? Even if you're there, can I tell you something? I'm gonna keep preaching at you because the gospel will break you eventually. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would and that you have been this morning cutting people to the heart. And Father, forgive us where we make this about so many other things. And forgive us where we have like forgotten that Christ came to seek and to save the lost, to bring the gospel to those in need like you did for us. And if you're in here today and you have never let the gospel break in, you've never let it really cut. Every time it's kind of cut, you've backed away or run away. Oh, let it cut all the way through today and respond as you ought. Repent and be baptized. Run from your former life and now run in the newness of life that you have been granted. And for all of us, who are already in Christ, who this gospel has broken in before it has changed us. Father, I pray that through your gospel, you would keep cutting us. Don't let us rest where we ought not to rest. We want to rest, but we want to rest in you. We want to rest where you want us to rest. And so I pray for a holy unsettling for gospel cutting in areas of our lives that need it. And in that then, Father, in that then, you would, you would grow us up. You would deepen our roots in Jesus. You would allow us to walk in the freedom that you have for us. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. 
We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.